Good morning. Welcome to worship at Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church. It is a pleasure to welcome you to this hour of worship on this first Sunday morning after Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. It is good to see you today. If you happen to be visiting among us, welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. If you are joining us a live stream on the internet or on WRR, we welcome you as well. I invite those of you who are gathered here in the sanctuary to please locate the friendship registry pads. You'll find those on the outside aisle of your pews. Please let us know of your presence this morning by registering your attendance and note names of those around you so that you can greet one another uh, following worship this morning. That is one of the ways that we endeavor to create community. Another is for visitors, we have a special gift for you. If you are new to our community, uh, there is a bag waiting for you on the counter in the atrium through these doors and to the right. Uh, we would love to greet you there and to tell you a little bit about Preston Hollow and invite your participation in our various ministries and mission opportunities. Uh, there is a place for you at Preston Hollow and we would love to have you join us. A couple of highlights I want to note uh, on the back of your bulletin, you will find a number of announcements. We have a lot of exciting things that will be coming up in the new year. Uh, and there are a couple of announcements that I wish to highlight for you. We are receiving nominations for officers, for ruling elders and for deacons. If you know of someone or if you yourself might be feeling called to serve in the life of the church, it is a privilege and an important responsibility to serve uh, as a leader and a decision maker in the life of uh, the congregation. And so please consider uh, nominating yourself or nominating someone else that you know might have the gifts and the skills uh, to do that kind of, uh, fulfill that kind of role. There are uh, ballots or uh, forms rather that you can fill out. Those are located in the atrium as well. You can also do that online on the church website. And so please consider that opportunity. Uh, it is uh, helpful to have good, strong, committed leaders, and that is uh, the primary way that we are able to do that, that the uh, church officer nominating committee is able to do its work. We um, also are having a starting point Sunday. Uh, this is a class for prospective new members. This will take place two weeks from today on the 12th of January. If you or someone you know has been considering uh, making it official and joining the church, this is a great way for you to learn about Preston Hollow, to hear from a variety of individuals who are involved in the life of the church, and you can get your questions answered and make a decision about joining the church. So please know that that invitation is before you. More information on the back of your bulletin about that class. If you have questions, Allison Cochran, our uh, coordinator for um, membership engagement, can answer those questions, as can any of your pastors as well. So friends, know that uh, we are grateful to have you in worship this morning. Uh, so let us worship holy God and let us turn our full attention to God as we join together in the printed call to worship found in your bulletin. If you are like Joseph and you are seeking truth, if you are like Mary and you are seeking rest, if you are like the Magi looking for a sign, if you are like the angels and you have a song to sing, You are in God's house, so come in from the cold. Love was born for you. Let us worship
Even in the season of Christmas tide, we tend to hide our pain, our brokenness, and our mistakes. But the God who created us knows us better than we know ourselves and loves us anyway. That same God hopes for us a fullness of life that is born out of truth and reconciliation. So we come to confession and worship to name it all because God wants us to be forgiven out of grace and to be set on a new and life-giving path. Together, let us pray our prayer of confession. God of the manger and God of today, we confess that we are only one week from Christmas and already we are losing our way. We have forgotten what it means to be brave like Joseph and strong like Mary. We have forgotten the faith of the Magi who walked for days following a star. We have forgotten the sound of angel choruses. It is easy to do. Forgive our easily distracted hearts and guide us home by another way, a way of grace, mercy, and conviction. With hope we pray, amen. Christ alone is in a position to be our judge, and out of grace and mercy, Christ was born for us, lived and died for us. Christ prays for us, Christ reigns in power for us. We are a new creation, a forgiven people, because of Christ. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Please unite your hearts with mine in prayer. Let us pray. We long for your guiding words to us, O Lord. Show us your life-giving path and give us courage to follow faithfully after you. Help us this day to hear you anew with believing hearts and open minds. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Good morning. Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. I invite you now to listen for a word from the Lord. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old or younger, according to the time he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. 
for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He was called a Nazarene. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was in elementary school, my family lived in Jacksonville, Florida. And one of life's many blessings in that season of life is that my grandparents were a mere 35 minutes away. Now, 35 minutes is not a long time. 35 minutes is just enough time to watch a sitcom or catch up on the news. 35 minutes is just enough time to take a dog on the walk or do the dishes. 35 minutes is enough time to start the laundry, but not enough time to finish it. 35 minutes is enough time to microwave a meal, but it might not be enough time to make something from scratch. 35 minutes is enough time to be productive if you have the energy, but it's also a short enough amount of time that you can easily fall into the cyber black hole of email or social media and not feel too guilty. Unfortunately, in my experience, this understanding of time seems to be lost on most children as soon as you put them in a seatbelt. All of a sudden, 35 minutes might as well be five years. My brother and I were no exception to this norm. We would learn in elementary school that we were headed to Mimi and Poppy's and we would furiously start packing supplies. We'd pack toys and blankets. We'd pack boxes of Legos and some coloring books, maybe a pillow in case we needed to take a nap. We would pack a few stuffed animals and enough snacks to hold us over to the apocalypse. We'd arrive at Mimi and Poppy's and it would look like we had driven there from New Mexico. And even with all of our distractions, with our games and our pillows, our snacks and our music, we would still ask that inevitable question about 15 minutes in. You know the one. Are we there yet? I think that we as human beings have never been great at being in between. It must be in our DNA. We want to arrive. We want to get there. We want to have clarity. We want to stick the landing. Being on the way, in route, in transit, somewhere in the middle, almost but not yet, that has never come quite as easily. And I think the gospel writer of Matthew knew that. For it is tempting this time of year to see Christmas as the destination. Unto us a child is born, Check. We wore red and green. The parking lot was full. The pews were packed. We sang Silent Night. We raised our candles. We served communion. The brass played. The choir sang. It sounded like angels. Check, check, check. Christmas has happened. Jesus is here. We have arrived. Right? Maybe, but our text today makes me think differently. For it seems to me that Matthew was trying to remind us that Christmas is not actually the destination. Instead, our text today pushes us out of the comfortable we have arrived space, back into the on the way, in route, in transit, somewhere in the middle, almost but not yet space. If I understand the text, Matthew is reminding us that Christmas is not the destination. It's actually the beginning. Are we home yet? My brother and I would ask. Almost. 
almost, but not yet. Here's what I mean. Matthew chapter 1 ends with Jesus being born. The last words of the chapter are, and Joseph named him Jesus. It's simple and to the point. No extra details spared. And I so badly want Matthew to linger there for a moment. I want Matthew to tell me about Mary introducing Jesus to his grandparents. I want Matthew to tell us about first words and first steps. I want Matthew to tell us about the other people who came to visit because word was spreading through that small town rumor mill. I want Matthew to tell us about the casseroles and the sleeping schedule and when Mary and Joseph got back to a sense of normalcy. I want Matthew to linger at Christmas because for a moment everything seems good and right in the world. However, that's not what Matthew does. Matthew pivots and it feels abrupt. For in a few words, we go from Jesus being born and the Magi visiting all is calm, all is bright, to Herod's rage, violence, and oppression. You heard it in the text. Mary and Joseph have a newborn, and shortly thereafter, an angel appears to Joseph a second time. This time, however, instead of bringing good news to all people, the angel tells Joseph to run. Herod is threatened by the rumors of their child and seeks to kill him. It is a drastic turn from the hope we find at the manger scene. So Mary and Joseph become the textbook definition of a refugee. A family fleeing their nation, their home, their people to live in a foreign land because home was no longer safe. And yet again, it would make sense to linger in this moment, to tell us what happened and how they managed. But Matthew provides us with no additional details. So we don't know if Mary and Joseph were homesick, longing to return. We don't know if they planned to be in Egypt for all of their days until the angel told them otherwise. We don't know what it was like for Jesus to grow up there. We know almost nothing. All we know is that they fled. And so we have to wonder, why did Matthew include this in the story? Why does Matthew pull us from the glow of Christmas Eve and drop us into this story of violence, fear, and oppressive power? If there are no details about Egypt, why bring it up? I can't know for sure, but I wonder if Matthew does not linger at the manger scene because Matthew knows that that's not the destination. I wonder if Matthew shifts so dramatically from manger to escape in an effort to remind us that we still have work to do. For love has come and Christ is born but there are still mothers crying for their children and families fleeing and rulers that abuse power. And that means we, as people of faith, have a job to do. So Christmas cannot be the destination. It has to be the beginning. Are we there yet? No. But I think we know the way. I had one of those homesick, already-but-not-yet moments the week the tornado hit. You all have heard the stories of that week either here or on the news. We turned the youth house into a crisis response center overnight. There were upwards of 50 volunteers a day in the youth house making sandwiches, sorting donations, and taking supplies out to the affected areas. We served thousands of meals and restocked a devastated elementary school with supplies. It was crazy, messy, exhausting, and holy all at the same time, and I will never forget it. One of my most memorable interactions from that week happened on Friday. 
On Friday, we had a food truck show up to provide a free hot meal to anyone and everyone who needed one. And at about 3 p.m. that afternoon, as the truck was packing up to leave, a Hispanic family of eight showed up. Two parents, four beautiful children, ranging from probably two years old to eight or nine, and two elderly grandparents. It was raining and bitterly cold that day. The family was ushered into the youth house where we had a fire lit and meals prepared. And they sat down together at a round table and ate quietly, keeping to themselves. I'm sure somewhat uncomfortable in that unfamiliar space. When I saw them, I walked over to the table and introduced myself. The oldest daughter, who was probably eight, spoke beautiful English and translated for her parents and I. I asked them how the food was and if they were staying warm, small talk questions. Then after a few minutes, I asked her the question that everyone had been asking that week. Is your house okay? Were you all affected by the storm? The little girl looked at me with big brown eyes and shook her head. And without words, I turned my face to the four adults at the table and saw the truth written in plain sight. They had lost everything. The dad handed me his phone, opened to photos of a house in complete ruins. The daughter pointed at pictures and went on to explain that the parents had saved for years to buy that house, and they had moved in just 10 days prior to the storm. It was a total loss. I felt like the wind had been knocked out of me. For a small child who had undoubtedly gone through an incredible amount of trauma that week, she said those words so calmly and matter-of-factly. I could tell that she was strong, but I hated that she had to be. So I stood there, mind racing, trying to think of a way to help this family, and then the youngest brother, who could not have been more than two, started squealing and squirming in his seat, eager for some attention or affection. And in that moment, I remembered that despite all those kids had been through that week, kids are still just kids. They want to know how long it is to Grandma's house, and they want to play when they get bored. So I leaned down, and I got eye level with those four little faces, and I said, you guys have had a hard week. I think you could use a surprise. Follow me. I want to show you something. The oldest sister translated for her three younger brothers, and immediately they popped up from the table, giggling with eager anticipation, as kids so naturally do. I walked them into one of the back classrooms of the youth house where a group of Presbyterian women were working hard to sort and organize hundreds of cases of food supplies. The kids trailed behind me like four little ducks, eyes wide as saucers as they entered that supply room with its boxes stacked almost to the ceiling. I said to the women in the room, ladies, these sweet kids lost their home on Sunday night. I think they could use a cookie. Do we have any to spare? And y'all, if love could be measured in cookies, those kids would have had enough for a lifetime. Those Presbyterian women dropped everything and opened up every single case of cookies we had, gushing love over those kids. They filled Ziploc after Ziploc with cookies, letting them pick their favorite, and then they invited the parents in and gave away bags of oranges and boxes of protein bars. And when the toddler began pulling on people's sleeves asking for milk, they rushed into the kitchen and returned with plastic glasses full to the brim. It was a painfully beautiful moment because it was the church being the church as she should be. 
And for a moment, those kids were just kids. And for a moment, suffering was held at bay. And for a moment, we lived like we belonged to one another. But as I stood on the porch later that afternoon and watched that family leave, I was painfully aware that I would probably never see them again. And I thought it might rip a hole in my heart. For in that moment, all I could think was that God was real, but so was their suffering. And so members of this community got up the next morning and we went back to the youth house and more volunteers showed up and rolled up their sleeves. And the Presbyterian women came back and stocked the fridge with milk just in case those kids showed up again. Because that's what you do when you believe that God is here, but the promised day is not yet. You keep working. You keep loving. You keep walking. Are we there yet? No. But I think we know the way. Theologians refer to this already but not yet belief as eschatology. Eschatology is the fancy theological term that addresses the end time or the promised day. However, in short, it also stands for the belief that Christ is among us. Christ has been born. And yet the world is not as it should be. Therefore, as people of faith, we eagerly await the promised day where swords will be beaten into plowshares, where all children will have a roof over their heads, and where there will be no more tears. Now, Matthew did not use the term eschatology, but I think he felt it. For it seems to me that Matthew did not linger at the manger because Matthew was eager for us to get to the not yet part. I wonder if Matthew did not hold us under starlight and delay us with additional visits from the Magi because Matthew needed us to remember that Christmas is not the destination. It's the beginning. It's a family of faith. We aren't home yet. Christ is born and for that we rejoice. But like Rachel crying for her children, this world still knows suffering. And as long as that is the case, we have work to do. So may this Christmas season be a holy reminder to us that we are called to roll up our sleeves. And when the children ask, are we there yet? May we honestly be able to say, not yet, but we've seen the way. This is the beginning, and we're not done walking. Pray with me. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Having heard the word read and proclaimed, it is appropriate for us to respond. I invite you to stand in body or spirit as we affirm what it is we believe using the printed affirmation of faith found in your bulletin. Together, as Christians, we believe in a God who creates all things, people, religions, languages, beauty, and every color in the rainbow. As Christians, we believe in a God who becomes flesh is born in a stable, a refugee with nowhere to lay his head. As Christians, we believe in a God who fills us with the courage to welcome the stranger, feed the hungry, and love the foreigner, because we were foreigners in the land of Egypt. This is who we are as Christians, people created to love, to welcome the stranger, and to walk hand in hand with all God's people through God's starry night and into the dawn.
Friends, I call to your attention the joys and concerns that you find on the back of your bulletin, commend them to your prayers, and ask you to continue to be in prayer for all who may be struggling at this time of year. Let us now unite our hearts and minds as we pray together. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, as we gather on this first Sunday after Christmas, we come with gratitude in our hearts for the abundance of goodness that you bring into our world. For you came and dwelt among us. You know what it is to walk this earth and to live among human beings, our finiteness, our frailties, our shortcomings. At this time of year, we celebrate your coming anew into the world and into our very lives. But as we have been reminded, Christmas is not the destination. Perhaps it is only the beginning. For life is full of surprises and changes, expected and unexpected, welcome and unwelcome, helpful and unhelpful. Oh God, you come to share our sorrows. We know that you care because you come among us in the midst of the darkness. And so this day we pray for those who are sad in this season, who have lost loved ones and who are experiencing this time of the year for the first time without their loved ones beside them. And we pray for those whose families are divided for seasons such as this, make that division all the more acute. We pray for those without a job, without shelter, without a sense of security in their life. Comfort and bring them peace, we humbly pray. Especially today, we pray for Beverly Patrick and the passing of her mother this morning. Also, we offer prayers for Polly Miller and Nancy Dimmock on the passing of Dave Miller their husband and father. Beyond our immediate community, we pray for places of unrest and disharmony. We are most especially troubled by continuing violence against Jewish people and their faith communities. We pray, God, that you would speak into the hearts and lives of those who perpetrate such hateful and hate-filled acts that peace would take hold and begin to transform. While we are surrounded by a world that is aching and hurting, we pause to give you thanks for all the good and the blessings, the light in our lives, for budding relationships, for a new diploma, for professional opportunities, for promotions, for hope in the future, and for the blessing of time with treasured family and chosen family. We know you to be God beyond time. You are God in our history, God in our present, and you hold our future. We are thankful that you govern the times and seasons. Our times are in your hands, and we are grateful for times of joy as well as sorrow, for dancing as well as mourning, for the time of Christ's birth as well as his death. Our own families know these cycles of change as generations rise and pass away. We rejoice in the babies, the children, and grandchildren among us, and in the long life which allows many of us to see them grow up. Hear our praise in voices young and old, high and low, weak and strong, until our time of silence comes. And hear us now as we pray the prayer Christ taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, we are blessed to be a blessing to one another. And so let us give generously from that which has been given to us, that through our offerings, the hope and peace and love and joy of Jesus Christ may be known both near and far as we receive our morning offering. Yeah. 
Please pray with me. God of the Nativity, you ask us to be faithful people, faithful like Joseph and like Mary, to be people of justice, to be people of mercy, to be people of peace. Use the gifts we give this day in large ways and in small to bring about your purposes in our community and well beyond. Through Christ our Lord we pray, amen. So may we rejoice in that truth, and may we never stop seeking and working for God's promised day, for this is only the beginning. So friends, as you go, may you love as if love is not a scarcity. May you hope like there is a better tomorrow. May you live like we belong to one another, because we do. And may you trust that nothing can ever separate you from God's love. In the name of the lover, the beloved, and love itself, go now in peace.